0: When you're looking for a COO, you want to get all the incompetent and competent off your plate to other people, right? Either stop doing it, outsource it, optimize it, automate it, delegate it to an employee, get an EA to do it. The stuff that is on your plate that's excellent tends to be the stuff that you're really powerful at but you don't love doing. Hire a COO who loves doing those things and has done them before, right? That's the key point. They love doing the stuff you don't love doing and they're just as good at it as you are, but they get energized off of it.
1: who can transform your visionary dreams into tangible reality through the day-to-day operations. In this episode, I'll be sharing advice on how to find and retain an exceptional A-level COO for your organization. We'll explore the intricacies of this role and unveil the secrets to building a harmonious and productive partnership. One of the key takeaways you can expect from today's discussion is the creation of a powerful tool, COO Scorecard. I'll walk you through the top five essential tasks that your COO should accomplish within their first year. This scorecard will serve as a compass, guiding your COO towards achieving key milestones and propelling your business towards greater success. But before we delve into the nitty gritty of finding the perfect COO, we must first focus on an often overlooked aspect, knowing yourself as a CEO. Understanding your own strengths, weaknesses, and leadership style is paramount in identifying a COO who complements and enhances your abilities? I'll share insights and strategies on how to gain this self awareness, helping you find the ideal match for your business's unique needs.
0: Now we've all of a sudden, in the last three years, what's the new C level title that's magically appeared? Where the fuck did that come from? You know where Chief Revenue Officer came from? It came from guys like you, the head of sales, who didn't have a C level to match their CMO, CFO, COO people, so we gave you a title and called it Chief Revenue Officer. That's all it is. There's never been a Chief Revenue Officer title in the history of ever, until you guys finally were the odd one out, so we gave you one. And it caused inflation in our salaries across our company. Be very careful with the titles that you give out and the compensation level you give out. But you do need a second in command. So how do you find one? The first thing I want you to do is what I call an activity inventory. I took this from Strategic Coach. I want you to take a look at all the stuff that's on your plate. Pretend that someone follows you around with a video camera for a month. And then I want you to replay the video and write down every single thing that you see yourself doing over the course of a month. Opening emails, replying to emails, booking meetings, follow-up meetings, booking flights, checking into flights, getting your boarding card, showing up at events, whatever it is, running one-on-one meetings, attending masterminds. Write down everything that you do. And then I want you to categorize the stuff you do as one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, C for competent, E for excellent, and U for unique ability. Okay, Incompetent, competent, excellent, or unique ability. Incompetent means you suck at it. Competent means you're okay at it. Excellent means you're really, really good at it, but you don't love doing it. Unique ability is you love doing it. You're really good at it. You get more energy while you do it. People get energized watching you do it. It's the stuff that you would do for free except your kids have to eat. That's unique ability. Then I also want you to put down a dollar wage. If you were to pay someone to do that one job all day long, what would you pay them? 15 bucks an hour, 30, 500 an hour, what would it be? When you're looking for a COO, you want to get all the incompetent and competent off your plate to other people, right? Either stop doing it, outsource it, optimize it, automate it, delegate it to an employee, get an EA to do it. The stuff that is on your plate that's excellent tends to be the stuff that you're really powerful at but you don't love doing Hire a COO who loves doing those things and has done them before, right? That's the key point. They love doing the stuff you don't love doing and they're just as good at it as you are, but they get energized off of it. Like poke fucking holes in my eyes if I have to sit and look at like diagrams of IT infrastructure shit and building software, right? But Brian from one 800 junk loved that stuff. He loved pouring over the balance sheet and the numbers. He loved meeting with investors. Like, kill me. And then for him, like hiring people, it was like he hated that stuff. I was like, I love that. It's amazing. The Next thing you want to do is create a scorecard for the role. So think about what are the top five things the COO has to get done in their first year with you. If you want an example of this scorecard, just email me. I'll send you this exact one. This is from a client from Toronto that I coached from 3.2 million to 52 million in four years. His company on Amazon is called Viva Naturals. He sells like coconut oil and krill oil. I coached Hussein for four years. This is his COO's scorecard that we created when he was getting ready to interview them. Or use another version of the scorecard that we use for the COO Alliance and rate your prospects on this so you can actually see where they are in alignment with the core eight areas that you would want as a second in command. So what you're looking for is How am I gonna measure their success? How am I gonna measure how they fit with the organization? And then I want you to go out and recruit and interview and hire people that have done it before. You're not looking for people that know how to do it. You're looking for people that have done it. Let's say you were hiring a swimmer. This is a weird analogy, but run with me on this one. If we were hiring a swimmer, do you want want somebody who knows how to swim all four strokes, someone who knows how to win an Olympic um, gold? Do you want someone who knows how to break a world record? Or do you want someone who has won world records, who has won gold medals, and who has won you know, events in all four disciplines? right? You want the experience. Because I know how to win a gold medal. I know how to break a world record. I know how to do butterfly. I mean, I would drown, but I know how to do it. What's that dolphin kick thing? like, right? I know how to do it. I suck at it. The problem is we often don't dig deep enough to find out if they've done it. I had a CEO recently, and he said... It takes about 90 days after the person has started to know if you have the right person. And I said, that's because your interview process sucks. If you interview properly, you know the day they start. The reason I can actually say we were so strong at recruiting and interviewing, at College Pro Painters, every year we had to go out and get 800 franchisees. 800 brand new franchisees. They all started May 1st, and by August 31st, we produced $64 in revenue But in that four-month period, those 800 franchisees hired 8,000 painters that were all college students. So we went from zero to 9,000 employees in six months, produced $64 million in four months. August 31st, all 8,800 kids quit and went back to school. September 1st, we woke up and said, oh, shit, we got to do it again. You become operationally world-class at recruiting, interviewing, selection, training, and onboarding. But if you don't do it properly then you have 90 days on the job to see if they're the right fit. I wanna save you all that pain. Your job as the CEO is to find somebody that works really well with you, so you have to know yourself first to find somebody who matches you perfectly. And I've said it a couple of times, one of the number one core things to look for is trust. I want you to know everything about this person so that the day they start, you give them your master password to 1Password, you give them your bank account information, You give them your keys to your house. You let them take care of your kids. You let them travel with your wife for a week. You let them literally take everything. There has to be complete implicit trust. Brian was, I was, sorry, he was my best man at my first wedding. Four years before I joined him. The trust of me coming in to join him at 1-800-GOT-JUNK was already implicit. We'd been in a YEO forum group together for four years. He knew everything about me. Right? I'd been through him in bipolar episodes when he was crying, when he was almost separated from his wife. Like, then I, I got to come and join him. The trust was already implicit. When you have all of the details of what you're looking for, I want you to get your first job posting written. And then I want you to get a professional copywriter to polish it and make it pop off the page. Has anyone here ever had a, a real copywriter write a job posting for them? Quick show of hands. Jennifer, can you stand up for a second? Sorry, just because it's embarrassing. So this is Jennifer Houdet. Jennifer is somebody who I get all of my clients to send stuff to. She takes their rough work, stuff we would normally polish, and she and her company, her team, polish it and make it pop off the page. So if you have a job posting for a COO and you want to recruit, you can say, no, I just want everybody to see who you are. If you have a job posting for a COO, right, the most important role you're hiring for, why, if you're not a professional copywriter, why would you ever put that out to the market to recruit the person? Write up what you would normally post, send it to her and give her, I don't know what you charge to polish them, 500 bucks or something, or 1,000, and let her polish it and make it pop off the page. You read the difference between what you'll be pushing out there to the market and what you have currently. Okay, so, so now you're going to get a professional job posting. In one of your interviews, usually the second interview for us, we use what we call Torque, which is the thread of reference check. We learned this from Brad and Jeff Smart, who wrote Top Grading, and then their second book is called Who? Has anybody heard of Torque? So Torque, the thread of reference check is... During the first couple of interviews, I'm going to ask you some random questions. What do you do for fun? Ben's like, I play tennis. You know, Dan's like, oh, I go to mastermind events. I'm like, well, who do you play tennis with? Ben, he gives me a couple of names. Who do you go to masterminds with? Who do you not like at War Room? Who do you like hanging out with at War Room? Who's your best friend at War Room? Who did you have lunch with at War Room? And I'll pull all these names of people out. I might ask them a little bit some questions. But after two interviews, I'm going to sit down and say, by the way, we have an, uh, an interview next uh, Monday. It's going to last for two hours. And um, in that interview, I'm going to be asking you some questions about some of your references. the guy's like, oh, great, I gave you three. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to ask you about those three. Um, Here's 12 names of people that you gave me in the first two interviews. By Monday, I need you to come back to me with email addresses and phone numbers for at least 80% of those 12 people. You can decide who they are. A candidates will get you all 12 out of 12. B candidates will get you most of them. C players will run away, and you'll never hear of them again. Then you bring the people back into the interview, and you sit down with Ben, and you say, so, Ben... I know you said you liked hanging out with Brad. What would Brad say about your ability to do this first thing on the scorecard? Where would he say you'd failed at it in the past? What would Brad say about this core value of ours? What would Brad say about this core value? What would he say about this core value? And then I'll switch after going through about 15 minutes of what Brad would say on the five things on the scorecard and our five core values. And I'll say, what would Kelly say about item one? What would Kelly say about item two? And I will do the threat of reference check. If I called so-and-so, what would they say? The two-hour interview is just... The threat of me calling all those people. The C players, again, haven't even shown up. The B players are getting all kind of nervous. The A players are like, this is awesome. If, If you want to do references afterwards, you do them. And I strongly recommend that you do reference checks. When I do reference checks, they go something like this. Look, Ben, I'm calling about Bob. I'm thinking of bringing him on as my COO. I know there's some bad stuff in there that I'm going to find out later, but I need you to tell me now what it is. Please don't make me chase you down the street and beat you up with a baseball bat if I find this out later. Like, tell me the bad shit. I will keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing until you tell me the bad stuff. And I will call up to 10 people to do reference checks on the key hires. Because the day that they start, I need to know everything about them, right? I've worked way too hard to get to this stage to allow somebody to come in and not know enough about them. You are not looking for your A players on Craigslist. You have to poach them. You have to poach them. And if you don't know where they are, you have to go and get a couple of executive search firms that know where they are and know how to find them. So I've got four different executive search firms that I use. If you want introductions, give me your business card and write search. I'll introduce you to them. One only does $400,000 plus roles. They only do C-level. They're unbelievably unbelievable at it, but they will poach people for you. Second one only does mid-level between about $100,000 and $300,000 roles. And the third only does sales executives, sales managers, sales VPs, sales directors. Um, But they're amazing at recruiting salespeople. But you're not going to get the best players. The best players are never looking for a job, right? The The best employees aren't out looking for a job. They're working somewhere. They're really happy. You've got to poach them and bring them into your organization. I want you to hire somebody and recruit somebody who's already done what you need them to do. I wanna recruit somebody with the proven success, not just the knowledge on how to do it. And if I'm building a $100 million company, let's say I'm 50 million and I'm building a $100 million company, I'm not gonna hire somebody unless they've already helped grow a couple of $100 million companies. And I don't wanna hire someone who's run a billion dollar company and bring them in to run my 50 to 100 million. When I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK as the COO, it took them 12 months to find my replacement. They found the former president of Starbucks, Lonnie Skinner, to come in and replace me. Lonnie had run U.S. operations for Starbucks, which is amazing. Multi-unit operation, fantastic culture, great leadership development program, amazing brand, marketing, PR, like really, really strong company. The problem was she was too corporate. They brought in somebody from president of Starbucks, and I was leaving 1-800-GOT-JUNK going, fuck, this is so big. And she's like, what a cute little company. There was a disconnect on culture. So be really careful that you bring somebody in, not only who has the skills on how to do it, but they've already done what you need them to do. Okay, so that's how you find them.
1: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.